Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you and we present ourselves as a church to you, Lord, because it's your church, God. Lord Jesus, and we just ask right now you'd send the Holy Spirit tonight. As we learn about you, Lord, and we just, uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, you would do what you want to do tonight. And Lord, this week with VBS coming up, Lord, that you would move with everyone that's coming to serve, Lord, and all the kids that are coming, Lord, that you would do a, um, a mighty work, Lord, and get all the glory. And we, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, if you would turn, say hi to one another and have a seat. Hey. really fancy man whoops yeah that's I was gonna make that joke like you guys didn't have to go all out <laughs> that's really cool I like that anyway if you brought your Bibles to the Bible study open them to Matthew chapter 4 um, if you didn't and you need one I don't know somewhere back there maybe under your seat or just download the blue letter Bible on your phones it takes like a second and you get all this wonderful stuff. Seriously, the Blue Letter Bible, I would highly encourage you. It has, wonder, has all the Chuck stuff, David Guzik, really good stuff on there. Anyway, so the series that, uh, as we go into Matthew, I've titled this, this series, Be Disciples. And it's, a, it's a play, kind of a play on words, you know, be with the Beatitudes, disciples. Because I think throughout the entire book of Matthew, well, through all the Gospels, Jesus in his ministry is showing us, to, be, to make disciples. What does he say in the, in the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? And so as, as we go, you see Jesus, uh, as, he, as he ministers and as he, as he goes and he, he does these wonderful miracles and he, uh, and he teaches these wonderful things, he always takes the time to sit down and he explains it to these men that he has around him all the time. And I think that's, that's something, it's kind of like you almost feel like it's hidden in plain sight or something, but it's not. It's completely spoken to us that we ought to be doing the same thing. We ought to be pouring into somebody. And I think as a church, that's how we're going to, we're going to kind of, if we tighten up in that and that we, we disciple one another and we, we build the next generation or whoever God, however old they are, whoever God has you discipling as we, as we do that, well, I think that pleases the Lord because he commands us to do that. I was talking to a guy in my small group and he was saying, do I have to do I, someone was telling me the Bible says you have to go to a, you have to be ordained a minister before you can before you can baptize. And I said, well, I don't know. Jesus says go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like if someone comes to know the Lord and they haven't been baptized, and you have a garden hose, spray them, dude. You know, I mean, in all honesty, you know, in, in, that you're dying, you know, you're baptizing, take him out of the water, brand new, you know, dead your sins, new in Christ. And we see last week that Jesus. He goes to get baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus, it doesn't really, you don't really think that Jesus would need to, what is he going to do, die to himself and be ro risen again to himself out of the water? You know, what, what, why did he do that? Well, I think he did that because he wants to relate to us. He wants to set the standard. He if you think about it, he's going to go to the cross. And at some point in the cross, in all that pain and suffering, and I can't imagine um, getting, you know, the, like the whip, the cat, I don't want to get too graphic because my girlfriend said she, I shouldn't talk about how graphic these things are. But uh, the whip and all the um, oh, sorry, and uh, metal pieces on, on the leather, when it hits you, can you imagine that pain? That's what I'm saying. It, the, the, it would grab onto you, and then they would have to rip it off your skin. 
from the hooks and the whip. And I can't imagine all the things, the crown being nailed. He must, he was, it says he was unrecognizable. And all that pain I can't imagine. But I think part of the reason why even he was being baptized is it's also he's, he wants to experience everything that we went through. And, and when he was on the cross, at some point, he had the sins of everyone that had ever lived that was living at that time and everyone that was going to live put, put, on, put on him, put on Jesus. Now, I can't, I was saying last week, I think, I, I can't imagine, like, I have those sins in my life that I've committed when I think about it and I go, ooh, like, I can't believe I did that. You know, that was, that was so bad. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, we don't have to go around and talk about it, obviously, but I'm sure you have those sins in your life. You're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, those really bad sins that you can't believe you committed. But that was placed on the Lord. And you know what? Even those small sins that you really don't care about were placed on the Lord. Now, I can't, I can't really handle my own shame of that, let alone, like, you know, any one of yours placed upon me. If one other person's terrible sins were placed upon me, that shame, my brain would probably snap. But Jesus took that, and he destroyed that because, he, because for, I think for the first time in all eternity, he really saw what sin was like and, ex, and experiencing it as a human because it was placed upon him. And his response was, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he had enough of that. He crushed that. He rose from the dead, and now we could boldly enter into the throne room of grace and call, and call God Dada, is what the translation is for Abba. You say, I mean, if you go to Israel, and you, you, my, I've heard my dad talk about this, go to Israel, as soon as you, there's little Jewish kids coming up to the dad, they're going, Abba, Abba, Abba. That's the picture. We can go before God and, and say Abba, and then God looks at us like he looks at Jesus because we're born again through the blood of Christ. But going back, Jesus had just been, disciple, has just been baptized, and, he's, and, and now he's getting ready to go into, uh, into the, um, be tempted by the devil, also, it's worth noting that we're, as we're going through Matthew, and as we're going through Mark, and we're going through Luke, it's, these are known as the synoptic gospels. And what synoptic gospels mean, it means seen together. Hey, it's up there. It means seen together. So uh, uh, Matthew on its own is fantastic. Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Mark on its own is fantastic. Luke on its own is fantastic. But seen together, you get a really good picture of what went on. Um, John as well, but John's not necessarily known as a synoptic gospel. Um, but as we go through, as we go through that, I just I just want to create a, a a big a good solid picture. So we'll be using those other gospels as we go through this. But let's get into the word. Matthew chapter four, starting at verse one, says, "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God,' Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We see that Jesus was going, was going to be tested and tempted. Last week we saw the per, a absolute solid, perfect example of the Trinity. If anyone asks you where's the Trinity in the Bible, you could take him to when, John, when Jesus was baptized by John. You have God the Father's voice coming out of heaven. You have God the Son in the water. And you have the Holy Spirit descending on a dove. Well, I think there was one other player there at that, at that instant. I think, it was, I think the devil was watching. Because what happens, he goes in, he goes into the wilderness, and he says, if you are the Son of God, command, these, uh, command that these stones become bread. And in the Greek translation, it's, it's, not, it's not that Satan was doubting him as the Son of God. It's since you are the Son of God, do this. You know, since, since you're, the, you know, since, you, since the Father's so pleased in you, 
And if you're the son of God, go ahead and turn this, turn this, turn these breads into, um, into uh, turn these stones into bread. And in the in the word, when when it says Jesus was hungry after forty days, he was starving to death. His after a while, if, I don't know if you have ever fasted for more than like two weeks, but your body, you know, biologically will start will say, "Hey, <laughs> this, this is great and all, but if you don't start eating, I will eat you." You know, and, and this is what's happening to Jesus. And like, guys, I'm, I, have a, I have hyperglycemia. And so when I get hungry, like my attitude starts to show. Like, I don't, you know, I'm sure anybody can be like this. But um, I get hungry and I start getting mean. Like my, my, my family would just start throwing food at me. Like make sure I eat because they don't like how my attitude. But, uh, um, but you, can imagine, you can imagine, like you're, if, you're, if you're that hungry, but your body, like just the thought of food will, will make you just want it so bad. That's the temptation there. You could, Jesus could have, it's his creation. He could have said, okay, great, yeah. That, I'm sure the image of bread would have, would have made him want to do that. But we do see in James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one, when he is tempted, say, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And, I don't, and, and as far as what Jesus was going through, I think he wanted to experience everything that we went through. And I, th- and, he, and I think he wanted to know what these temptations were like. And he wanted to show us from, from that point and into the future how to beat that temptation. I mean, these guys had to know, had to known how to write, uh, what happened, but they weren't there when Jesus was getting tempted. What did they do? They had to go to the Lord. And Jesus told them, this is what happened when I was in the wilderness for 40 days. And, and he would have told him, so we see, we see here what's going on. He's throwing, the te- he's throwing Jesus the temptation of, of food for the body. You need, you need to feed yourself. Um, and you see that the enemy is, is nasty. We see that the enemy has an improper view of God. I think the enemy right here thinks if he could ever make God lose the throne, now is the time. But we see in James that that wouldn't have happened. But you've got to think, in all of eternity, up to that point, God was always on the throne. You know, if you go and you read the book of Job, Satan has to go stand before the Lord, has to stand before God and give an account. And God says, what, have you considered my servant Job? And, he, you know, God, God allows Satan to do things. But up to this point, well, God the Son's a human being now. God the Son's a starving human being now. He's the most weakest he'll ever probably be. Now I'm going to attack him. And you know what the enemy does to us? He attacks us at our weakest point. When we're, when we're the most vulnerable, when we're the, vo- when we're the most hungry, because we have hypoglycemia, when we're the most whatever, the most weakest, that's when the enemy attacks, because what, what enemy on earth wouldn't? This is spiritual warfare, is it not? I can tell you, being in the military, that if, if as, as, just as Marines, I could say, if, if, we think, if we see that the enemy's regrouping and they're camping, we're not going to go like, Oh, oh, okay. No, yeah, no, let us know when you're ready. Right? It's, I mean, who wouldn't? We, let's bomb them. Let's start shooting, you know? And so I think the enemy here, he's, doing, he's evil in it, and he's trying to, he's trying to attack God because if he can get God to sin, well, then, that, then it's not God. So the enemy is using every dirty trick. The enemy will, will, uh, will go after Christians that are maybe just Sunday Christians. Or maybe you go to church because it's the thing to do. Or maybe it's a social thing or whatever. He's, he, he'll go after you. 
I think he'll, he'll go after you if you're thinking about coming to the Lord. I'm not saying you, have, you, know, you don't go to heaven just for going to church. You have to be born again, it says, right? But, well, here I want us to kind of know our enemy. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11, it says, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11, about him. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was at your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, and onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your, of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. By the way, that's where people think that um, Satan may have been the first worship leader in heaven. That's where they get it from. I'm not saying that's what it is. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, you, were, you were the anointed cherub who covers I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Lucifer was his name, apparently, and Satan says, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the farthest part of the north. He saw the glory, and, we, and it's Christian tradition, and, and even, I think, Jewish tradition, that we think that Satan... His job was, whatever he did, was to bring the glory to God. And that's what kind of tempted him. That's where the iniquity was, that he wanted that. And what did he say? I will, I will, I will. But he was cast from, down from heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him. That's how convincing he was, this most anointed cherub. He says, I will, but you know what? What does Jesus say? What does God say about it? He says, I am. And, and you know, at the end of the day, even the devil's a created being. But, but knowing that, he's the most anointed cherub. I don't know exactly about angelology. I don't know if that's a word or demonology or whatever. But it seems that cherub's maybe a high-ranking angel. And if he was the most anointed high-ranking angel, even if you I think in Jude it uh, says that Michael that dare not bring a reigning accusation against, against him. And Michael's an archangel, which seems like a big deal. But looking at these, we look, we look at this, and you look at, um, you look, if you turn with me, to 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, or write it down or whatever. It says about an angel, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose in the morning, there, um, there were the corpse all dead. So one angel, God sends one angel against these Assyrians who were, who were coming up against Israel. One angel in one night kills a hundred. And 85,000 uh, Assyrians. Now let's just say that's the lowest ranking angel like, that can do that. Can you imagine, can you imagine what, what power Satan is allowed to have or what, you know, in the way he was created? And he's coming up against Jesus who's starving to death. You see the picture I'm, I'm, I'm presenting here, guys? Is, you see what I'm saying? Is, is, you, you know, Satan's coming full force, full guns blazing. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24 says, so he drove out the man after the fall, and he placed cherub at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Jesus, in the, um, in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's being betrayed, Peter goes and he, slack, he slashes at, uh, at one of the servants in the ear, and he cuts off the ear, and 
he says, put away your, and Jesus says in Matthew 26, 52 through 53, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think I cannot pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? So going back to that one angel that killed 185,000 Assyrians, and if that's the lowest, and he can call it, isn't, I believe a legion is, was the Roman measurement of a, of a thousand? So if he can call like what, a thousand, I'm terrible numbers, guys. If he can call like a, a, a 12,000 angels, and each angel can, can kill 185,000 human beings, Jesus could have called down those angels and they would have wiped out the current population of the earth at that point. I'm just saying, there's, there's obviously power in these angels that God has given them. And if Satan was the most anointed cherub, the most anointed cherub, the most powerful, and he's coming against Jesus, the starving to death man, fully God, but fully man starving to death right now, you could see the tactic of the enemy. That's knowing your enemy, that he will come after you in your most weakness, because why wouldn't he? But there's hope in what we're reading right now because we see, I think my voice is correct, because we see that, um, we see how Jesus defeated him. He defeated him with the word of God. In, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make known the man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This was Jesus' response to Satan. He says, If you are are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus went to Deuteronomy and, uh, and, and, said, and gave him the proper response. He gave the word of God to the, to the devil. That's all he did, starving to death as a man. He didn't use any of his, any of his divine power, any of his godship to, you know, to shoot him in the face with Holy Spirit power or anything. He just used the word of God. So guess what? The most anointed cherub at one point can come at you and just, you know, if he, if he was allowed, rip you to shreds. You'd probably do nothing to stop him physically. But how do we defeat the enemy? We defeat with the Word of God. And we notice that Jesus used the Old Testament. Um, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament at least 39 times. Let every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And guys, there's people who who now in this day of age will say, well, the, the Old Testament's not really worth teaching, or it's not, we shouldn't be teaching from it. Beware of that. Be careful with that, because you know, you, know where the found, you know where the New Testament got its foundation? From the Old Testament. Jesus is using the Old Testament. Jesus didn't say, didn't, didn't say well, First John says, you know, it hadn't been written yet, but, you know, Jesus used the Old Testament. So every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 speaks of the sword of, sword of the Spirit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We don't have to change it. We don't have to alter it. We could just teach it as it is. And it's powerful enough to defeat the most anointed cherub. It's powerful enough that as we plant these seeds in our hearts, 
that they grow as we, as we turn to the word. Jesus, the man, enemy using the same boring, worn-out tactics. He, he seems to tempt with a three-fold temptation, tempting the body, soul, and spirit. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. Uh, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus is using his, his, uh, his humanity. It seems that Jesus cast off, casted aside his, his divine powers. If you, if you read uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it talks about how Jesus um, humbled himself to death, even to death on the cross. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, we'll just read it. It says, starting at verse 5, let this mind be with you in which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You, and like I, I've said the last couple times, you've got to think, Jesus was the, is the Lord of creation. If you read John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus could speak these things, and, they, and when he spoke, commands them into your life or because man's things in, into existence they happen instantly and obediently and jesus who has all power who in revelation chapter 19 will end the armies that come against him with the word that proceeds out of his mouth you know what it, it, and throughout his whole ministry he says lazarus come forth and lazarus rose from the dead and all these things that jesus is able to was able to do he decided to come down and save you and he went to like the lowest of the lowest people at the time to do it and then he submitted himself to a human being Joseph. Joseph, who would have had to gone to synagogue, come back and teach Jesus the same stuff that Jesus gave to Moses in the first place. And we see the attitude of God that God is not prideful. God hates pride. Pride is a sin that God specifically points out and says, I don't like that. That's, as a matter of fact, I hate that. And if God, if God himself is not prideful, why should we be? But he, but Jesus here, He's in his human form. Don't ever look at, at what happened to Jesus here with those temptations and say, well, yeah, but he's God. No, he, he not only is he human, but he's starving to death. He's in a far worse situation than you probably have ever chosen to be in your life. And he's defeating the enemy. He's setting the example. We don't have to be God to defeat the enemy of our soul, but we do have to be men or women that is filled with him. Set the example, guys. Fasting, at the very least, you should fast. Whenever, I'm not telling you, I'm not saying when to do it, how to, you know, Jesus sets a standard on how to do it. But you know what fasting does at the very least? It helps you fight your flesh. Because when you can sit there and go, man, I mean, because like, imagine your, here's your spirit, and your spirit communing with God, right? We're all born again, I'm assuming here. You know, I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, let's fast. And you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. So you start to fast, and then your body's like, what? This is terrible. I'm hungry. This is, this is in and out day. You know, and this is four by four day, if you eat four by fours. Um, and it doesn't make sense to your body. But, you know, the more you do it, at the very least, fasting, it helps you fight the flesh. Because, you know, maybe one day there's going to be those temptations that do come that normally you're not, you're not equipped to handle it. But I think fasting, at the very least, 
Well, at the very least, it puts you in communion with God. But it also helps you fight the flesh. It helps you fight those temptations. And I think, and it's funny because there was one point in, in, in the ministry of the Lord when the um, Pharisees come out and they say, hey, how come you guys don't fast? And Jesus' response was, they're with me. They don't need to fast. But then there, Jesus goes on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down. He says, this one only comes out with prayer and fasting. And you can look at that and be like, wait, you just said they don't have to. No, he didn't say they didn't have to do it. Like, don't do it. He didn't command them not to. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't ever say not to do it. First of all, Jesus does it before his ministry. And we see Jesus started off his ministry with two things, guys. Jesus started off his ministry with humility. And then he, started, and then he, and then he went into um, prayer and fasting. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, you are, God, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we can defeat the enemy. Let's continue on. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up, and, uh, took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest lest you dash your foot against a stone. Excuse me. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The enemy is tempting Jesus in the same threefold way, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Adam was tempted this way, and Adam failed. Jesus beats Satan, but, he, but he's using the word of God, not his power. Um, from, what's going on here is there's a, what's going on in this temptation is, uh, is, is what Satan's doing is he's taking him somehow to the top of the pinnacle of the temple. And he's saying, throw yourself off. Now, and you've got to kind of wonder, why on earth, how is that a temptation? I mean, except for like if he did and the angels like grabbed him. And like flew him around. Well, that's the point. That's the temptation. Can you imagine Jesus, who, who I'm sure the Pharisees and the scribes would have, they might have heard of him by now because, you know what, John the Baptist had a huge population. Then all of a sudden, this miraculous thing where, where the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, God's voice comes out of the sky. I'm sure the Pharisees heard about Jesus getting baptized. And they were wondering, is this the Messiah? There was those questions. There was, at this point in history, Messiah was, the, the, the whispers of Messiah was, was really hot. It was really, it was really happening. They were thinking maybe it's coming up. Now imagine you look up in the top of the temple. There's a man standing up there. He jumps off and he starts flying around. You'd be like, hey, all right, there's our flying Messiah. Let's get this man a sword and go beat Rome. And the people would have followed him. There's the temptation right there. There would have been the temptation. We notice that, that the enemy is now going and using the word of God against the Lord. Saying, all right, you want to use the word of God? Doesn't the Bible say in Psalms chapter 91, he shall give you uh, his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Go ahead, go ahead, son of God, jump off the temple. Well, what's going on is, is the devil's using the Septuagint version of the translation of, of the Hebrew and Psalms, which, by the way, is nothing wrong with that, because Jesus in, in his ministry used the Septuagint. Septuagint um, is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, when the Greeks translated the Hebrew into Greek. Um, there's nothing wrong with the translation. The difference is he kept, uh, Satan kept out, to, kept out of there to keep thee in all of thy ways. The version is, For he shall give his angels charge um, concerning thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall, they shall bear 
thee up on, on their hands, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Translators in the Septuagint, to try to make it make sense from the Hebrew, added, they added um, at any time. They added some things. But Satan took out of the of scripture here. He says to keep, to, he took out to keep them in all the ways. Satan uses in, um, this to try to manipulate the word of God. He's trying to manipulate Jesus into doing, doing what he wants. But guys, the word of God, it changes you. You don't change the word of God. It's fine on its own. It's powerful on its own. Satan will try to twist scripture to manipulate your life. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. He's talking to Joshua here after Moses died. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you can look at this as an excuse to sin. I think maybe the enemy will tell you that. Because if you think about it, we, we, we all have our things that we struggle with. We all have sin. I, I'm sure you guys can, you know, tell me about the times that you sinned up until the today. And I'd just be like, wow, you're evil. No, I'm just kidding. But keeping in mind as you go and you do these things and the temptation, this verse saying that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, when you ask Jesus into your heart, he is always with you. And maybe you have a struggle. Maybe there's something on your computer you shouldn't be going back to look at. And it's not like as you're getting ready to go do that, Jesus says, oh, is it computer time? Okay, I'm going to go in the back room. Go ahead and do your thing, and then I'll be here when you're ready to repent. No, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You won't be punished for your sin because Jesus took that punishment, but he, those that he loves, he, cha- he chases. And he will allow you to suffer the consequences of sins because he wants you to learn from those things. He wants you to grow. Don't try to raise the old man back to life. Invite Jesus into your situation in your sin. When you are tempted and you do fall, because we, we know those things. Every time we fall into our sin, it's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like God said, I, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I just can't. But that's not the case. No, he's, he's sitting there, he's like, I'm, I'm still here. I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's continue on. Repent. Repent means to like, when you're going, the definition of repent is like to go, repent is to stop, turn around and not go in that direction. And that's what it looks at like um, when you repent of your sin. And invite Jesus into your situation. Just mentally invite him into, when you're tempted and you're getting ready and, and you fall and you fall into this sin, invite him and say, you know, don't, don't ask, it's not necessary that you're asking God to take away your sin, although I get that and I do want my sin completely taken away, but invite Jesus into your sin, who Jesus who who, who, can't, who can't sin, who has conquered sin, and will work it out. He wants to do something in you. Jesus uh, gives the proper response, do not tempt the Lord thy God. In Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the word in their glory. How did he do this? I don't know. Remember, he was the, he was the most anointed cherub. He, he has abilities. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The temptation here 
it seems pretty obvious is, you know, Satan wants, Satan wants to be worshipped. Satan wants that power. But the temptation for Jesus, why would he do that? It's because this is why Jesus came, to be the king over everybody. He came to die on the cross. And I think Satan's looking at Jesus saying, you know what? Your way is leading to death. He's offering a shortcut to what, what, he, what he could give Jesus. Because at this time, Satan has the power of the world. And he's saying, look, I can give this to you. You want to be king? Just in the text, in the translation, just one time, call me Lord. Remember, the most anointed cherub, Jesus starving to death, being tempted with the things that he's coming down to do, to be king over all of us, to conquer sin, die on the cross. And if you look at the garden, Jesus, Jesus even asked God, Lord, you know, God, if there's any other way to do this, any other way, let it be, but not, but not my will, but your will be done. So the temptation here was to, be, was to have the kingdom of the world, was to have the king of everybody, of, of us, of individuals. That's where the temptation was. Saints says to call him Lord just once, and he will give them those things. The temptation is, is there, but Jesus defeats it with a proper perspective of, of who he is and God. The devil is under the illusion that he can be God. I think the devil, being the father of all lies, has lied to himself so much that he thinks he can win. He can't win. I'm not saying he, he even has a chance. He doesn't. But you know what I've noticed about people that are consistent liars? Is they believe their lies. You ever notice that? Like, they will lie. Like, it seems like they'll lie to like, you, I mean, you could like go with this person that happens to lie a lot. You can go to the zoo and you come back and your friend will be like, so how was it? And you'll be like, oh yeah, he'll take over, the person will take over the conversation and be like, yeah, yeah, Sean saw lions, but one lion came up and allowed me to pet it. But no, you didn't. You know, and he believes that. And you, I think the devil has that in him, is that he, he believes his own lies. And he's, and he's so driven by his own selfish, prideful ambitions that he thinks he can dethrone God right here and, go, and come at God. And, and God, remember, in all eternity, God has never been this weak. He's never been a human before. And he's coming at him with, with everything that he has. He just, he can't attack him. Wouldn't have done anything anyway. But he's coming at him with everything. Because all his tactics, all his best stuff, I mean, it worked on Adam. Adam folded like a house of cards when he tempted him. The enemy offers you shortcuts in others' ways as well. Maybe you're engaged to get married. Maybe you're getting married next week or in a short amount of time. And, and he's like, wait, you don't, you don't have to wait till marriage. You're engaged anyway. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, why, why wait to get married before the marriage bed? It's, it's, it's hard waiting that long. It's easier this way. Just get it over with, and, you know, then you'll, you'll know each other better. You know, who cares about all that? I mean, you have to spend money on her. You have to take her out to dinner. You know, you, you have to do all these. You have to go before the altar and whatnot. Why not just do it now? You have to find the right person who wants to do that. But no, all those things lead to death. I mean, you don't, I don't have to get started on the amount of STDs that are in the world. Or, I mean, the, just the issue of abortion even. That's, that shouldn't even be an issue if we followed it and did it God's way. The enemy will, will manipulate. He will lie. He will do everything he can because the enemy wants the power. James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Guys, that's a promise. I, you know what I think it is? Is when you're doing that, the devil's like, all right, I don't care. I don't want to, <laughs> forget it. I don't want to hear about it. And he leaves. Because why? The word of God is, strong, is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
Jesus again responds with the word of God out of Deuteronomy. If you look in Psalms 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to the word. Psalms 119:11, Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's a promise. Own that. Are you doing devotions? So far, I haven't really been able to, to really get into discipleship, although today it's going to start. We're going to see Jesus starting to call people to, to him. But let me tell you, you have an opportunity, whether you're dating, whether you're married, or your grandparents, you have a perfect opportunity to start discipling and start putting the Word of God into that person's heart. Because again, that's what my parents did for me. Every, I'm not kidding. I'm, I, I wish I could like, rewind it and prove it to you guys. And you, or you can get in my head and know the truth. I'm telling you that when my parents became born again, we had devotions every single day, whether we wanted it or not. And if, if we... If, and if we weren't getting devotions from them, it's because we were at midweek or all day at church on Sunday, it seemed like. And the evening service. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not saying coming to Sunday night is going to make you a super Christian. Or am I? I don't know. Maybe, you know. But, but the intent of, of knowing the scriptures. Those of you that are young, you're getting ready to go off to college. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hear very convincing arguments about why, why God might not even be real. Why God is dead. Why, why these philosophers, though they have like just scrap, you know, side pages of manuscripts, why those are b- completely believable, but yet we have something that has been written the exact same time for 5,000 years, and that's not believable? How do you conquer that? How do you defeat that? By the Word of God. It's, you don't have to change it. You don't have to go find out what Chuck Smith said, David Guzik, all these super, I mean, they help, it's great. But at the end of the day, start pouring into your kids. Start pouring into each other. Start pouring into yourself and let the Holy Spirit teach you. Isn't it great? Do you, ever, do you ever do your own devotions? Those should be the most important devotions for you. Nothing that Pastor Mike says, nothing that Sean says over, over your own devotions, I mean. Because you know what? There's no greater pastor, there's no greater teacher than the Holy Spirit. And do you ever get those moments when you're, when you're in the Word and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, look at this. And it's just like you just unlock the secret of the universe and you go and you go to Pastor Mike, if you're me, and go, Dad! I don't know if you call him that. Dad, did you know this, this, this? My dad's like, yeah, I knew that for like 20 years. You know, I was like, okay, great. But there's no better, but you don't know those things. You don't get those things if you're not doing your own devotions. If you're not, my, I, I love what my father says. He says, if, if you're not praying and fasting for your children, you're not even trying. If you're not praying and fasting for your ministry, you're not even trying. And Jesus is setting the example here. Every time you are tempted, you can resist. Something a pastor said, and I love this, because I promise you, after this, if, if, if the enemy is listening to this, and he's going, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to tempt each one of them now. So this is what you do when that happens. You, you respond with the word of God, but you know what I like to do every time I'm tempted? I like to pray for five different people. Now, you know, don't do that just to have a, you know, a formula and be like a Pharisee, but, but really mean it when that happens. And it's a fantastic way to counteract your temptation. Pray for five people's salvation. Or pray for five ministries at the church. And make, make, make every time the devil tempts you an opportunity to get into prayer. And see if the enemy keeps trying to do that to you. All right, I don't want to hear him pray again. But mean it. I mean, honestly, don't just do it because Sean said it's the formula to defeat the enemy. It's not, it's not just, you know, then, then it will fail. But really, it's, use it as an opportunity to enhance your, your prayer life to God. You notice Jesus did all these wonderful, amazing works 
But like every single day, it seems, he went to God. He prayed to God. He had that connection to God through prayer. And I think, I think we can learn something from that. That's how he completely defeats the enemy and the enemy leaves. It's because, it's, it's because of the word and because of his prayer life. So, and he takes that into his ministry. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, remember John, I told, uh, I think in chapter 2, chapter 3, John was speaking out against one Herod, taking the wife of another Herod, but that, that wife turned out to be both of their niece, so it's kind of disgusting. But uh, he's speaking out, and Herod didn't like that, so he arrested John. He, Jesus departed to Gal- Galilee. He departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of uh, Zelbanon and Naphtali. If you say it really fast, it sounds like you know what you're saying. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying the land of, of, of Zeppelinum and uh, the land of Zaph... I can't say this word. I'm so sorry, guys. Zaphatali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, Gal- of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and have come and, and have seen a great night, and upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, beginning to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus starts um, the fourth part of his ministry here. Um, the first part was living a godly life in the background for 30 years. Remember, this is God. Jesus being fully God at the right hand of the Father. Lord of creation. Humbles himself and, bec- and submits himself to a sinful man, Joseph. And I imagine Jesus, if Joseph was a carpenter, guess what Jesus, as a Jewish boy, would have been? He would have been a carpenter. And I don't know what that means, because there's not a, if you look into Israel, there's not a ton of wood in Israel. So I think that, I think that obviously, whatever, they, whatever wood they had, they were able to use. But, I mean, I'd imagine there was a lot of stone masonry. They went down to Egypt. It was a huge stone mason um, kind of, um, chapter down there. Look at the pyramids, if you don't believe me. Um, you know, so he would have been, I think, just saying he would have been a skilled carpenter, a handyman, uh, a repair guy for home things kind of, kind of uh, living. But he would have gone to synagogue eventually. He would have gone with his dad, sat down under his father, submitting to a man. I mean, can you imagine that? You're, you're, you're fully God, and you're sitting there learning your own words back. That's humility. Never have pride. But that was the first part. Of this. The second part is he, was being, he, he went to be baptized so that he can relate to us, so that he can set the standard for us. Uh, and guys, keeping uh, saying that, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. The thief on the cross... Jesus didn't go, okay, you will be with me in paradise. But first, let me get down really quick and baptize you. No, he just said, you will be with me in paradise. But you have no excuse. Go get baptized if you haven't been baptized. The, sec- um, the third was, he started his ministry off by fasting and praying and being tempted. Maybe you're not called to ministry. Maybe your ministry is your family, and that's wonderful. I think when Joseph died and Joseph went to heaven, and all Joseph seemed to do was be a carpenter and raise the Lord... I think Joseph's ministry was rewarded. I think Jesus, had, when, when he saw his earthly father, said, Job well done, my good and faithful servant. But maybe you are called to ministry, and know that ministry is not easy. And you see right here, right off the bat, the devil is going a thousand miles an hour at the Lord. And I think he does that to a lot of his ministers. And throughout, look at anybody in the Old Testament in their ministries that are like obvious figureheads. 
First of all, the Levites just blow it all the time. I don't think the devil really had to try that hard. But look at, I mean, look at Moses. You know, he gets mad and he slams the rock the second time when he was told to speak to the rock. Joseph, uh, look at Joshua. He didn't end up conquering everything. And that kind of bit him in the butt, right? I mean, look, you know, Elijah calls fire down from heaven, kills the prophets of Baal, and then, uh, and then runs and hides in a cave away from a queen. He says, kill me, God. God tells him to knock it off. But look, my point is, ministry is not easy. Look at John the Baptist. He gets beheaded. Look at Jesus. He went to the cross. So Jesus starts the next part of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, um, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two, two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately um, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Uh, there's, a, there's a really good, if we turn to Luke, we see a little bit more detail. So if you, um, you know, synoptic gospel, turn to Luke chapter 5, if you want, or write it down. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. So it was... So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he, said, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, at your word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Also... Well, if you'll bear with me, John chapter 5, starting at, at verse, um, John chapter 1, forgive me, starting at verse 35, it says, Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking, this is right before John gets arrested, right? And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher. They said, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called um, Cephas, which is translated the stone. And then we also see Philip and Nathaniel. Then following day, Jesus went to the, go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Who would have thought? And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And we see Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's beginning to to, um, bring people to him. He's beginning to call call him. And we see that, you see, the the men that he chose, these, these super holy men who some of these men written these epic things in the bible you read first peter you go through what peter wrote we're fishermen i promise you if you go down to the to the docks at long beach or anywhere they have docks for fishermen and have a conversation with these fishermen you're probably not going to want to stay there very long i'm not speaking if you're a fisherman i'm not bashing you i'm just saying I, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, and I, I, know, I know why, where they coined the term, you know, cuss like a sailor came from. You know, and, 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 and these men, I'd imagine, are just normal guys who, I mean, maybe they went to synagogue. Maybe some days they didn't go to synagogue. I mean, you know, I don't think they were super holy men is my point, but Jesus sees something. Jesus sees the heart in these men. And he goes up to them, and you see sees something interesting. Jesus goes up to these men, and he says, hey, hey, cast your net over there. And Peter says, well, you know, Rabbi, we've been, we've, been, we've been doing this all night long. And guys, you don't, you don't work all night, right men or anybody that works, you don't work all night long if you don't have to. Well, Peter had to. He was in that situation. So apparently were James and John. And he cast, the, and he told him to cast a net, and so he does, and he takes the fish, and it blows his mind. Because you see what, Peter, what Peter's life was tied up. Even, even a couple fish probably would have fed his family, or at least selling them would have fed his family for however long. But Jesus, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what the cost of fish were back then. It seems Jesus prayed him pretty wealthy at that point. I'm not speaking prosperity gospel. But what I am saying is Jesus took care of that problem as he's calling Peter to ministry. And all I want you to look at in this is as Jesus right now, and the Holy Spirit right now is moving in this room, and you're being called to maybe a ministry, to maybe help at VBS this week. I'm not, you know, don't, if you're not called to VBS, don't, don't do it. I'm not trying to push VBS. I'm just saying. Maybe you're being called, maybe, and as the Holy Spirit's moving, and Jesus is calling you, what's stopping that? What's in your way to serve the Lord? Because, I mean, Jesus is just going to tell you, cast it to the side. I mean, the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. The things that these men were going to see were going to shake the foundations of the world for eternity from this point on. But right now, as you're sitting here and we're, and, and, and we're thinking about the things that Jesus said, and he says to love each other like I loved you. Where he says, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second greatest commandment is like, is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus, and the, and when he's having the first communion, says, love each other like I loved you. And this, they'll know you're my disciples. 
and then he and then he and then he dies, rises again. And he says, "Make disciples." How many of you are, are called and there's something in your way? There's something holding you back. Do you, do you not believe that the, the, the man who came, the God who came down as a man, who spoke this earth into existence with a word, can't speak salvation into your life? That he can't speak peace into your life? That he can't speak those things that are hindering you away? And maybe, maybe it's one of those situations where God's grace will be enough, but that's not an excuse not to move in your calling. Next week, we're going to look at the Beatitudes, and we're going to look how to behave in chapter 5 as, as believers and everything that the Lord is saying. But right now, I would just ask you guys, as, as we're closing, we'll have nachos. What is God calling you to do and you're not doing it because there's something in your way or there's something, there's something stopping you? That, and that's something I would, I would consider. Is it a sin? Is this a temptation? Like I said, I can't help but think about the man who was lowered in that was paralyzed, and he was lowered through the roof by his friends, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And to everyone else, you know, the Pharisees, that annoyed them because only God can forgive sins. But to that man, like I said, you remember those sins that make you cringe? Oh, I can't believe I did that. How many of you, don't raise your hand, don't tell me, please. But how many of you have that? Maybe, Maybe it just has never, ever, ever left you. That sin that you think about all the time. I, you know, I, I, I punched my dog in, my, in its face, and I just can't shake that. Or whatever the sin is. Jesus took it on the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. And right now, maybe he's calling you to ministry. Maybe he's calling you to full-time ministry. Or maybe he's calling you to, to be a man and raise your, raise your family in, 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 in him. Whatever's in your way is nothing. God can speak it out. But guys, whatever he speaks, he already did. God speaks to us through his already spoken word. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your marriage is pretty good. Either way, open the, open the word. Start reading it together. I'm talking to myself right now. Get into the word, because in this is, is the words of life. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you once again as a church, Lord. And as we conclude Sunday, Lord, we just ask that you... Yeah, you would hide these words into our hearts, Lord, that, Lord Jesus, we would look at you as example in fasting and praying and resisting the enemy and maybe, somewhat, maybe putting on our hearts to call someone a disciple, Lord. And whatever it is, Lord, we just ask that, that, you, would, that, you, would, that you would guide us, that you would send the Holy Spirit to convict us. That you, thank you for forgiving us of our sins, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And right now, as, as every eye, are clo- eye is closed and head is bowed, maybe there's something, maybe there is something in your life that you just can't give up. And maybe there's a sin in your life that has kept you from really believing in the, the power of God and the words that He says. If right now, if, if you want to be released from that, just raise your hand. Just hold your hand in the air. And God, I, God says, I'm faithful and I'm just and I will forgive it and move in the freedom of that. I see your hands. Father, you see the heart of your servants right now, Lord. I would just ask, Lord, you said you would. You forgive them. Right now, just, Lord, your will be done. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be more better, more like you, Lord Jesus, as we move into the rest of this week. 
We thank you, Lord. We love you, and we praise you, and we worship you alone. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. That's it. It's always quiet, right?